What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Score! The Cards win! The Cards win! They walk them off! The Cards win! And they see new life here in Omaha! You're listening to the 3rd and Central Podcast. Powered by the state of Louisville. Now, here's Matt McGavick. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Third and Central podcast hosted on the State of Louisville Network, the one and only podcast solely dedicated to the Louisville baseball program. That's right. If you're a podcast junkie and you love Louisville baseball, where well, you, you got nowhere else to, to go. You got to. So before we get into this episode, I want to like just. First of all, thank everyone for listening to what we have. So we're now on episode six, I believe. And it's we're getting into the meat of a baseball action. The postseason's just a stone's throw away. So we're gonna we're gonna be ramping up a lot of content in the next uh month or so. So uh just strap on strap in and uh it'll be a wild ride. We'll see where this takes us. But uh as always, this is Matt McGavick, deputy editor for uh Louisville Report of the in the Sports Illustrated Team Network of Channels, c- accompanied by Matt Sikovic of Rivals, contributor baseball writer over there. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing well tonight, Matt. I had a good weekend with the family celebrating Mother's Day. Upset we don't have a midweek game this week, but ready to get rolling this weekend. Yeah, that's just that's just the nature of scheduling this year. I mean, we've already seen several scheduling scheduling casualties this season because of weather or COVID or whatnot. And yeah, like you said, it was it was a nice weekend out. I just wish that I wore some sunscreen to that Duke's uh, doubleheader because <laughs> I know the top of my bald head is currently a. Uh, looking like a lobster but uh, that is neither here nor there let's get straight into this episode we've got a we've got a jam-packed episode for it. we're gonna uh, recap of uh, the games that we we've seen since we last recorded we're going to take another look at a louisville's uh, NCAA tournament resume kind of go to a deeper dive into their rpi and whatnot uh touch upon the final two series of the season we're not going to get too deep into those just because we've got a lot to cover this episode uh, kind of touch upon where Louisville kind of sits in the grand scheme of the ACC, what things are looking like right now, and if there's still a chance they might be able to win the, the win the conference. And to kind of put a bow tie on this episode, we're going to fin- uh, finish it with uh, a, a very blunt discussion about what is this team? Because I mean, I mean that's kind of a 
broad question, but those who have kind of watched Louisville baseball this season kind of kind of know or alluding to there, but we'll we'll save that for the end of the episode and we'll we'll get to that here in a bit. But start off, let's kind of recap the last couple of weeks. Uh, they obviously didn't play a few weeks ago against Pitt. They got that got uh, canceled outright because of COVID issues with the Panthers, and they had nine days off. They played ten days between games, and everyone likes to get into the debate of rest versus rusts and. Um, I think Russ kind of got to Louisville during that Clemson series. The Clemson series at Clemson was their first competitive baseball since uh, before the Pitt series. And to say that they did not look good is probably a bit of an understatement. They got swept by a very middle of the road Clemson team. A Clemson team that's probably in the, the bottom half of the ACC at this point ended up losing 311, 4 to 5, and 5 to 15. So two, two of the three losses, the pitching staff ended up giving up double digit runs. But they countered that with a midweek win over the number two team in the country, the Vanderbilt Commodores. That's right. They brought back home the barrel. And that's a game that I really didn't see coming because I I personally thought that Vanderbilt, because of their hitting prowess, that's a lineup that had no weaknesses. I very well thought that uh, they were going to quite honestly beat Louisville like a drum considering how the pitching staff is doing but kudos to them kudos to the guys at the plate kudos to everyone involved for being able to rally back for then get that uh to win the barrel back win the battle of the barrel and kind of hold that until next year and then going into this past weekend against Duke it kind of they kind of come back came back down to earth within the uh, series opener against Duke getting smacked three to 13 against the Duke team that's not very good to be quite honest with you but then they played a doubleheader the next day and ended up sweeping that five to one and 15 to six to win the series so th- this Louisville team has been all over the place the last two weeks yeah Matt after you know the weekend at Clemson I think uh, everybody was kind of down on this team and then they bounced back with the like you said the win over Vanderbilt huge uh, midweek series win and then taking the big loss Friday night against Duke 13 to three you know getting beat by 10 runs you know, kind of got right back down again, but then answer with the two wins on Saturday with the double header, get a little bit momentum going back into the series, you know, this upcoming weekend about against North Carolina. So, you know, this team has been up and down, really don't know what to expect out of this team. We'll get into that a little bit more down the road here in the end of the podcast, but we saw some the other day, somebody said, you know, this team's been bipolar lately. And I think that's probably the best way to describe them because you really don't know what you're going to get out of this team from game to game. So, so you're saying they're like a box of chocolates. <laughs> Just never know what you're going to never get. know what you're going to get with this team, especially <laughs> over the last couple of weeks. And uh, speaking of the last couple of weeks, the play on the field has not been the only storyline. As uh, most people know at this point, after Louisville took care of business against uh, Vanderbilt, of course, Coach Mack, Dan McDonald, he was very happy with being able to get that really important win against not only the number two, number two team in the country, but so, but a team that will most certainly help. Louisville's RPI and t- overall team resume and whatnot, but uh, Coach Mack had some things to say about the uh, the fans in the stand. Uh, for those who are kind of unaware, Jim Patterson Stadium's capacity because of COVID and whatnot had previously been um, at twenty percent for the entirety of the season. Louisville tried to get uh, that bumped up to probably around twenty five percent back in late March. That that was approved, but because of the other uh, rules pertaining to you know, social distancing and whatnot, they couldn't really configure it to be able to bring in more people. So the the cap, the soft cap, so to speak, was around 880, 900 fans for the entire, for the entire season up to the Vanderbilt game. And I, I believe 880 was the, uh, the announced attendance at the game versus the Commodores. And so after that game, 
Uh, Coach Mack was heated, to say the least. He said he was just he was tired of not playing in front of a crowd that wasn't even fit for regional. He was I can't remember the exact terminology he used, but he he was not happy. He was ready to open Jim Patterson Stadium up. He saw how the Derby had had 50,000 spectators. He's seen how baseball stadiums in the Southeastern Conference, specifically in Mississippi, have been able to open up their stadiums. I know uh, Mississippi State, the last time I checked, they're at 50%, and Ole Miss said they're working on a phase plan to get back to 100%. So the ball is starting to roll about. Uh, baseball stadiums as a whole across collegiate baseball getting opened back up and Dan McDonald wanted a piece of the pie and uh, all and it's hard to blame him because like when you see several uh, stadiums across college baseball especially in the SEC opening up I'd be kind of miffed too and as we saw the very next day Louisville baseball announced that they were upgrading their capacity from 20 percent to 50 percent so that'd be roughly about give or take 2000 fans. So going from about 900 to 2000, that's a big upgrade. And it's one that Louisville sorely needs, especially if they're going to host a regional. Yeah. It's a big jump from, you know, for Louisville fans. And when you look across the country, like you said, you've got athletic departments that are handling this completely different, you know, up at Notre Dame, they're still allowing just a couple hundred fans in their games. And then you look at, I think TCU this weekend was, I don't know if they were at hundred percent, but they were pretty close to it. Like you said, Mississippi, Mississippi state, LSU, they're all raising their capacity. And with the way that the NCAA is handling the regionals this year, you've got to think that that's going to come into play with who they select, because when it comes down to it, this is all about money. And if you're going to have a team that can have, let's say 10 to 12,000 fans in the stands that are paying ticket holders, they're going to pay for concessions, parking, what have you. And then you've got a place like Louisville that they may allow 800 or 880 fans you're just not going to make near the money. So I think that goes into a lot of Coach Mack's frustrations last week. And kind of touching upon the regionals, you and I have both alluded to it in in this past episode and so far up to this point. But in case uh, people don't know, uh, regional hosting is not going to be the same as normally is. They're not going to be awarded to the top 16 teams in the country. The right to potentially host a Super Regional is not going to go to the top eight seeds. Uh, The way it is going about this year with the NCAA is that they are going to be awarding regional hosts to predetermined uh, applicants, so to speak. So I know Louisville obviously has already applied. And uh, according to Kendall Rogers of D1 Baseball, uh, we're recording on Monday, was May 10th. Uh, he announced today that the NCAA was in the process of figuring out the predetermined 16 regional hosts, and they should be announced later this week on Thursday or Friday. So hopefully by the time you guys have listened to this podcast, Maybe we'll be get one step closer to knowing if Louisville is indeed hosting a regional. I'm still kind of on the fence and not just because of, of Louisville's NCAA resume and whatnot. And we'll get into that in a moment, but as far as being able to host fans, JPS is and Louisville in general is taking a good step in the right direction to be able to get that. But I mean, when you've got stadiums like Alex box stadium for LSU, uh, Dudley Noble down in Mississippi state, uh, Florida's, I can't remember the name escapes me there, but you know, Florida, Ole Miss, all those Southeastern conference type uh, stadiums. I don't, I think, I think Louisville will, will get awarded a regional, but it's going to be close. And the way they're doing it is that they're going to announce 20. And when it's time to actually announce the field of 64, they're going to trim it from 20 to 16, just kind of, you know, weed out the four teams that wouldn't normally get a regional host you know, in, in a normal year. So it, I, I, like I said, I think Louisville should get a hosting site, but it's going to be close. What do you think? 
Well, I saw something last night too that the NCAA, and this ha- this is not official, but I, I read something that they are having problems breaking it down to 20, that we may actually see more like 25. Um, I don't know how true that is, but I read it. I read it or listened to it last night. But the, and the problem with not the problem with Jim Patterson, Jim Patterson is a beautiful stadium, but there's not a whole lot of room to bring in expanded seating, which is what a lot of stadiums are going to do. Right. They can, you know, put bleachers down the um, sidelines, down the right field and left field fence. Um, in the outfield, we just don't have the space for that with the trees and the lack of space down the right and left field line. So we're kind of handcuffed there. We can't add a whole lot of seating like some teams have the luxury of doing, which could come into play. But I think and we'll get into Louisville's resume here in just a minute, and kind of break that down. But I think Louisville's done enough to host, depending on how they finish. They've got six good opportunities left on the schedule, plus the ACC tournament. But I, th- I think they've set themselves up that they can host, but the RPI definitely has not been favorable to them this year. Not at all. Like you said, I, I think they up to this point they've played, they've played their way into potentially being in the good graces with the NCAA to host regional, but they, they absolutely cannot afford to falter down the stretch. We'll get into those two series in a little bit. But now let's kind of transition into their actual NCAA tournament recipe and their RPI and all that good sort of business. As of this recording, oh, so Louisville's not going to play a midweek game, so – Right now, they're 26 and 15, which is in, in not too bad uh, overall record. You, you'd like some of those midweek losses and a couple other series losses to, to get those de- wins down, those losses, excuse me, down to potentially single digits. But it is where it is up to this point. And Louisville has still got a, a relatively solid conference record. They're 16 and 10 in the ACC. And a lot of people nationally still consider consider this Louisville team to be super elite. I know I was kind of perusing all of the plethora of college baseball polls today. There's, there's too many, but that's, that's a topic for another, that's another video. story. Yeah, I know. But the, the highest they're, their ranks is number eight in the country by collegiate baseball newspaper. And I know you and I, we we've had the discussion before. Sometimes we look at these national rankings and I go, have they even watched, uh, some of these teams recently <laughs> that, that was like when Louisville was ranked the number two team in the country, like three weeks ago, and they were kind of in a bit of a slump, but I, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say that it's a bad thing. Cause you know, good press you'll, you'll take it anytime. And whether or not I agree with it or not is, is a moot point, but after up to this point, Louisville's got the number 49th ranked RB uh, RPI, which we've talked about their suboptimal RPI. 49th when it comes to being able to host it's not really a great sign and the s the sos the strength of scheduling isn't great either it's it's 78th i mean and it's it's gone up since this point this time last week the win against vanderbilt and the series win against duke even though duke's was 500 heading into this weekend they were they were still there was still a decent spot in the rpi i think mid somewhere in the mid 40s i mean not not great but not a terrible in terms of RPI, and, and that really helped. I think it boosted the RPI by five, and it boosted the SOS by like 20 or something like that. Yeah. So the NCAA tournament uh, resume was a lot worse a week ago than it is now, and it's still not that great. Well, I think – I talked about it earlier. The RPI hasn't been very friendly to Louisville. I think they were – I don't know what it was last week, going into the week, around 55 or so in the RPI. And you go three and one against three teams in the top 50. Vandy is – you know, second or third, wherever they're ranked, they're top 10 in the RPI. And then Duke, who is just inside 50th in the RPI. So two wins against Duke, you beat Vandy, and you move up like five, six spots in the RPI. I just, I don't, 
I can't wrap my head around that. I know they're all, you know, the three wins were all at home, but you're beating three quality teams and it, it, there's just not much movement there. It, it, it's improvement. Yes. But you would think after beating, you know, three top 50 teams that you'd have a little bit more movement than that at this point in the season. And it's going to be hard overall for the NCAA selection committee to properly seed the tournament because in a normal year, RPI would probably be a little bit more reliable to be able to gauge where you want to seed these teams and who's going to host, you know, things of that nature. But not everyone's playing the same amount of games this year. I mean, we've seen it from Louisville. They had their series finale against Notre Dame scrapped. I mean, that went due to COVID. That was due to Notre Dame, and they're apparently a little spitball wind bothered them. But that's that's. <laughs> but anyways, and then they had the pitch series canceled. They've had a couple couple other snafus with scheduling and whatnot. So, and Louisville's not the only one to experience it. Several teams across the country have had the same issue. Several teams have been able to play their full schedule up to this point. So it's kind of an unlevel playing field in terms of games played. So RPI is not the most accurate indicator. I mean, it's never been that accurate to begin with, but it's, it was still something, but especially it hasn't been like this great of an indicator this year. I mean, for the longest time, I don't know if they're still number one, but freaking Fairfield was number one in the RPI for, <laughs> for the, the longest, longest time. time. Yeah. Just solely because they were undefeated and they were playing in a, I don't even know what conference they play in, but they, I have they no were idea where they are. undefeated. They were projected in one of Louisville's regionals the last time that, that we recorded, but they were, they were as a four seed. So that just kind of shows you what kind of a competition they play against. Well, I was watching a game. I think it was over the weekend. It may have been last week. It was an SEC game. And Kyle Peterson of ESPN, who is phenomenal at what he does, was talking Absolutely. about this season this year and just the landscape of college baseball. And that's one thing he talked about. He said it's not going to happen. But he said the NCAA committee this year, they should just throw the RP out the window because it really isn't a good judge of a, over, a team's overall um, body of work because of the nature of this season. Like you said, it's not going to happen. But that just goes to show – how inaccurate the RPI can be on a season like this. I don't want to completely agree with that, but I, I do agree that the NCAA should not put as much merit into right. it as to do in years past, because like we've said, it's not a completely accurate indicator as to what has gone on, especially in Louisville's case. Now Louisville's still very much a, an NCAA tournament team, but they're not as RPI would suggest the 49th team right. best team in the country. I mean, I mean, RPI doesn't normally work out like that, like a ranking system, but <laughs> Just just because of their overall resume, that's probably why it checked out to me. Now, kind of diving into some of the actual games played on set resume, uh, some of their best wins on there. Obviously, we had the midweek win against against uh, Vanderbilt. That was huge for just in terms of resume. Just like, what are your best wins, Vandy? Oh, okay, they're great teams. And then they they split the series with Notre Dame. They had a chance to go for the the series win, but the series finale ended up getting postponed. You might as well just say it's canceled at this point because Notre Dame's not going to reschedule that. Uh, they had a series win against Florida State. Florida State's always Florida State's had a Louisville snubber ever since joining the ACC. So just being able to win that series, period, is good, was good news for Louisville. But then uh, Louisville's resume is kind of very hot and cold. And what I mean by that, they've got some solid, real, solid wins towards the front half of the spectrum, and then on the back half of the spectrum, they've got some really bad freaking losses. Mm-hmm. They've got a, they had a midweek loss to Moorhead State. I think that one right there broke like a twenty game win streak against them or something like that they lost to eku now it was at eku but i don't know if you've seen eku's ballpark but they've got an extremely short short porch in right field so some of the left-handed hitters could probably go yard with ease and then they had 
they have the the series win against Western Illinois, yes, but they dropped one of the games there. I mean, they 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 lost. They wasn't even close. They lost eight to three in that. They lost six to three at EKU, and they lost five to two at Moorhead. Now that, that a couple of those are within three runs, that's not horrible. And then move on to quadrant two, which quadrant two would be the the teams ranks fifty third through hundred in RPI, and it's just that it's just not good. And what I'm it's they're six and six in the in quadrant two. And out of those six losses, they've lost uh, eleven to three to Clemson, fifteen to five to Clemson, eleven to seven to Kentucky, and then thirteen to twelve in extra innings to Cincinnati. Four of their six losses in Quadrant Two, uh, the pitching staff allowed double-digit runs. Now, if you had maybe one game where one, maybe two games where you allowed double-digit runs to, you know, middle of the pack Division One baseball teams, maybe the RPI would be a little bit better, maybe close to the low. The low 40s, somewhere like that. But when you're allowing this many runs to teams, you very well might face in the NCAA tournament teams of this nature. Quadrant two is like, the, what, seed three and seed four type teams in the tournament. And if you're 500 against those types of teams, that's that's not a great indicator of like the potential of what you could do in the postseason. And then you take in the the good, the bad with the good, or good with the bad, whatever, whatever have you. They're in quadrant one, which is teams ranked first through 50 in RPI. They're 12 and six. So looking at it from the 30,000 foot view, they're 12 and six in quadrant one, but 14 and nine in quadrants two through four. So, like you said, this seems bipolar, and it's just the best way to sum it up. I mean. This seems like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> one thing to keep a close eye on, too, if you look at quadrant one and two, not to get too deep in the weeds, North Carolina is right now 47th. So that, depending on how North Carolina finishes their season and depending on how Louisville does at North Carolina, that could be a couple quadrant one wins. But if they fall down below 50th, that could turn those into quadrant two wins. Same thing with Duke. Right now, those are quadrant one wins, but they're 48. So if they fall a little bit, Louisville could be losing two Q1 wins. Uh, Clemson's at 51. So if they bump up to 50 or above, they could take on three quadrant one losses, but that looks better than the three quad two losses. So there's a lot of – and Kentucky's at 52, so same thing there. So there's a lot of teams that Louisville has played or remaining on their schedule that are right between 47 and 52, and there's going to be a lot of movement in those teams – over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm looking at Warren Nolan right now. UNC is 47th. They play them this weekend. And the final weekend, they play uh, Miami. They're RPI 21st. I think no matter what happens against Miami, the, Miami is not going to fall out of, of quadrant Those one. Those will be and, Q1 no matter what. Yeah, unless the bottom completely falls mm-hmm. out there. But even still. And, and with UNC, that's going to be tricky. Like you said, depending on how the Tar Heels kind of finish out their season, those could fall to quadrant two. They could remain at quadrant one. But I think Louisville kind of benefits either way because if they are quadrant ones, it already adds to your already you know somewhat impressive Q1 right. um, uh, record, resume, whatever the, the terminology is. But if they fall to quadrant two, if you win the series, it bumps that up from being just 500 in quadrant two to being above 500. Now, it's, right. it's still not a great quadrant two resume, but it's better than – being like right at on the nose at 500. Now that being said, Louisville's got to win the series. They, right. they absolutely cannot afford to drop this. They can't, they can't really afford to drop either series because they, they, they need some momentum heading into the postseason because 
like we've said like numerous times already on this episode, you don't know what Louisville team you're going to get. You could get a really good Louisville team where the bats are hitting well and the, the pitching, you get a good start to the pitching staff and the bullpen is actually able to locate the strike zone, throw quality strikes and whatnot. Or you could get a, a Louisville where they struggle to hit with runners in scoring position. The starting pitcher isn't able to go deep and then the bullpen just can't get outs. You, you, you don't know what Louisville team you're going to get. So it, it, it's going to be a tight next couple weeks as it pertains to seeding both nationally and seeding both in the ACC tournament. And before we get into a brief discussion about the ACC tournament and seedings there, let's kind of take a brief look at uh, the final two series that Louisville is playing. Like we said, they go, they go to UNC this upcoming weekend. And then the final weekend of the regular season, they host Miami. So UNC will start with them. They're, they're right at 500 on the season at 21 and 21. There are two games under 500 in the, in the conference. They're 14 and 16. Like I said, their RPI is number 47. They've they've had a rough go of things in the last <laughs> month and a half. They they since March 26, they are eight and 15. Mm-hmm. That's this. You you think Louisville's been on some on some slumps this season? That's that's nothing compared to what the Tar Heels are on now are on right now. In fact, before getting a midweek win uh, versus Campbell, <laughs> they lost five in a row heading into that game. Is so, like they're they're going to be hungry to get to turn their season around. They're going to be hungry to try and generate some momentum heading into Charlotte for the ACC tournament. So that's that's going to be someone to look out for. Even though uh, UNC is only batting two fifty seven at the plate with a with a three forty eight on base percentage and a four thirty slugging percentage. I mean that's not great. In fact, in terms of uh, the landscape of Division one college basketball, that's only one hundred ninety fifth, two hundred twelfth, and ninety second in all of D1 out of 302 teams that they're not that great hitting at the plate. So maybe this is a, uh, a a get right series, so to speak for the pitching staff, specifically the bullpen. But then again, like we've said, we don't know which bullpen we're going to get. So this is going to be, this is going to be a series where the bullpen really needs to hone in and focus to make sure that they're able to capitalize on some of UNC's struggles at the plate so that they can contribute towards potentially coming back to Louisville with the series win well my hope after looking at North Carolina's schedule is they actually had last weekend off so they played Notre Dame um when they played Louisville to be two weeks ago they've mm-hmm. had two midweek games since then but they had this past weekend off so kind of hoping they have the effect that Louisville had missing the pit series uh before they went down to Clemson so we'll see you know those pitchers their starting arms haven't really seen live action um for two weeks so hopefully they'll come out a little rusty like Louisville did against Clemson, and we can uh, pick up a big series win down there in Chapel Hill. Let's hope so. And before we before I transition to their pitching staff, come uh, UNC's best player to look for. They've got a, a bunch of guys who can really slug. I think I saw like five or six guys who have at least four home runs. But their best player is Caleb Roberts, who's got a slash line of two eighty four, four forty, and five twenty. So he, he he can mash. He's got nine homers, twenty nine RBI, and seventy seven total bases, all of which lead uh, lead the Tar Heels. So if the bullpen's really going to try and focus on any individual batter, it's going to start with this guy. And overall, on the pitching side of things, they're a little bit better than their than their. Uh, Efforts at the plate, that's to say. They've got a team ERA of 4.96, which still isn't great, but it's a good for 128th in D1. Their, their whip is solid. It's 1.38, 75th in D1. It's it's not bad. And their best their, – their starting rotation, it's okay. But their their best pitcher is their reliever, Austin Love. He's got a, he's got a 4.2 ERA. It's a little bit high. It's, that's over 13 appearances and 12, and, uh, 12 starts. Oh, excuse me. He's not, the, he's not their uh, 
closer. He, I'm getting ahead of myself. He's one of the guys in their starting rotation. He's their Friday night ace. And he's got a, a, a strikeout to walk ratio of 87 to 24. So he, he's got some good swing and miss stuff. Now he's got, he's got the potential to, to give up a little bit of runs, but he, he, he can bite you with some of, some of his pitches. Yeah, I think you look at, you know, their, their team ERA of 4.96. Louisville's around 4.84 uh, last I looked. So, you know, similar ERAs. Uh, both of them are a little elevated. So I think Louisville's got a big opportunity to go down there and really put the bat on the ball and make this team pay because North Carolina's offense, like you said, isn't one of the best that we're going to see this year. So hopefully our pitchers can get a little confidence down there and bats come alive and come back with a win because I think this is a team that we could really jump on early. And I think North Carolina would kind of roll over. Um, You know, they've got a lot to play for, but I think Louisville has a little bit more going into the end of the season because we've got a host spot to play for North Carolina. They don't necessarily have that right now. Yeah, they're more along and they don't look like they're up up for grabs for an at-large bid. So for them, it'd be more of win the ACC and then so there's some desperation there, but I think if if Louisville can carry over on their momentum and confidence built from the Duke series win, especially with that sweeping the doubleheader in the way that they did, I think that maybe they should be able to come home with a series win. Now, now again, it all depends on what bullpen actually shows up, but mm-hmm. I, I'm moderately confident they should be able to get a series win down in Chapel Hill, but I wouldn't be surprised if they dropped that series. And then after that, they don't play another midweek game, like we said, they're done with midweeks, even though uh, Coach Mack said uh, after Vandy that they're looking to get more midweeks. But I was kind of talking to Stephen Williams, the uh, SID, and as it pertains for this week, they weren't really sure if they were going to get another midweek. I didn't ask about next week, so I didn't want to get ahead, but it looks like they might not get a midweek game for that for that week. So after that UNC series, the final uh, games of the regular season, they come back home and they host Miami. Miami is a team – I was really high on uh, to begin the season because they've got talent all over the place and they've, they've kind of struggled a little bit. I mean, they, they still have a very good overall record of 27 and 15 with a RPI of 21, but considering what they were, what they were to start the season, they've, they've kind of underperformed by their own standards. They, they've got wins of a series wins over number seven, Florida, and they've got a series win over a decent NC state. But then again, Against some other, you know, top 25 competition, they, they haven't looked that great. I mean, they, they were swept by in-state rival Florida State, number 19 Florida State, and then they were swept by Pitt. So they're kind of hot and cold there. I, I was really high on Miami, especially because of the capabilities that Adrian Del Castillo is. He's, he's one of the best players in the entire ACC. I mean, people, when they talk about the best catch in the ACC. Obviously, the conversation starts with Henry Davis, but Adrian Del Castillo is right behind him. I thought because of the supporting cast he had around him on top of, you know, his abilities at the plate, that Miami would maybe contend to be one of the top three teams in the ACC. And it, it, it hasn't completely panned out to be that way. No, like you said, you know, they start off the season at Florida, who was the number one team across the board pretty much by all polls, and went into Florida and – took the series, the uh, lost the first game, but won the second, third. And after that, they've kind of just been up and down. You know, they've, they're 11, 13 quad one wins, but they don't have any losses in two, three in quadrants. Uh, I'm sorry. They have two losses in quadrants two, but none in three and four. So they're really beating the teams that they're supposed to. And then against the upper teams, that's where most of their losses are coming from. And they end the season pretty strong too. They've got Georgia tech 
and then this weekend, and then they've got uh, they come up to Louisville the following weekend. So their ACC schedule really didn't do them any favors to end the season. Right, and, and they've still got an overall relatively solid team. I mean, they're they both they, they're both their pitching and their hitting is statistically middle of the pack, upper to middle, upper to mid. I mean, their their team slash line is two seventy one, three sixty eight, four twenty seven. So that's 126, 126, and 103rd in terms of all of Division One. So I mean, they, they they pose enough of a threat to be able to put up runs, but it's not the the Miami team that we've seen over the last couple seasons as they've been trying to claw back into like some of the power the powerhouse that Miami has been in college baseball over the last several decades. And I've talked about Adrian Del Castillo and how big of a of a threat he is at the plate and. He's he's projected to be like a, a top five round pick in this upcoming MLB draft next month. But statistically speaking, uh, he's not the best person on the uh, on the team right now. It's actually his brother Christian Del Castillo who <laughs> plays in the outfield. He's batting three sixty nine, four twenty seven, five ten. He's got four homers, thirty nine RBI, eighty total bases, all of which lead the Hurricanes. So it seems like the uh, the Del Castillo family can mash. That's for sure. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, that's something the Louisville pitching staff is really going to have to keep an eye on this week, or I'm sorry, in a couple of weeks, because they've got some guys that can hit the ball. Um, and the way our pitching staff and bullpen has been a little hot and cold, um, it's something they're really going to have to keep an eye on and kind of keep those guys off the base pass and don't let them beat you. Um, make sure we, you know, not pitch around those guys, but don't give them anything that they can beat you on. Make the guys at the bottom line and beat you, because if you pitch the Del Castillo's, uh, it could be a long weekend for Louisville. No, no doubt. And plus, to top it all off, their their pitching is solid as well. They got a team ARA of four point three nine. That's seventy ninth in D one. But uh, while they 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 do give up some runs from time to time, they they do a pretty decent job of limiting the amount of base runners. They've got a WHIP of one point two eight, which is good mm-hmm. for thirty third in the country. And uh, their best player, I know I got ahead of myself saying that UNC had the had the good closure. No, it's actually Miami. They've got the good closer <laughs> in Carson Palmquist. He and we thought Caleb Corbett had a good season up to this point. Well, he's had a better one. He's got a one point six seven ERA and 17 appearances. His whip is under one. It's 0.65. He's got 11 saves and get this, his strikeout to walk ratio, 57 to five. He's got a strikeout to walk ratio of over 10. That's insane. It's going to be hard to find better numbers than that in the country. No kidding. I mean, in terms of a team, like elite teams have a strikeout to walk ratio of three. Mm -hmm. And this guy's got one over 10. Over 10. that that just tells you right there how good of a closer he is. So Louisville better hope that they can strike fast and strike early because if if Palmquist pitches for more than one game in this series, they might not come back because he, he's that good. Yeah, and one thing to keep in mind for the fans that are looking to go to this game, the last game, their last series of the season is always a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series to prepare for the ACC tournament the following week. Right. So the series against Miami next week, is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. So just keep that in mind if you are wanting to head to the ballpark. I'm glad you brought that up because that's always something I completely forget. That's I, I've been covering this team for years now, and I always forget that the last week uh, regular season series is Thursday, Friday. Saturday. It always sneaks up on you every it, time. It, it always does because it seems like we were just talking about, you know, mid-March, like the start of ACC conference series. And now mm-hmm. here we are, the regular season, that's come to an end. Yeah, and it's here. Yeah, it's it's here. Postseason baseball is coming. It's one of the one of my favorite times of year. Now, before we put a bow tie on this podcast, I want to deep 
take a quick look at the ACC standings and more importantly, where Louisville is currently sitting. Because, I mean, we still have two more weeks. They still have plenty of time to shuffle around. But as of right now, with their 16-10 and 10 record in the Atlantic Coast Conference, they're currently at the, the number two seed as uh, for the uh, ACC tournament. They're only three games behind Notre Dame. They've got a record of 22-10 and 10 in the conference. And Notre Dame just has three ACC games left. So that's going to be something to monitor. They've got this upcoming weekend off. And then after that, they go to Virginia Tech, which they're, they're a solid – they're a solid team. They, they could potentially sneak up uh, based on what they've done so far. They're 27 and 17, 16 and 14, and they've been really good at home. So that'll be something to monitor on top of, you know, Louisville playing their games, but to see if they can maybe take back that number one seed for the ACC tournament, depending on what Notre Dame does down in Blacksburg. So with their number two overall seed, that currently puts them in pool B with uh, the number seven and the number 11 seed. And I know there's probably going to be shuffling between now and uh, two weekends from now. I know that that's just how baseball works. But based on who currently has the number seven and 11 scene, I kind of I hope that there's no shuffling like at all. I kind of hope that everything just stands pat. And the reason I say that is because number seven seed, NC State, Louisville swept them down at their place. So, I mean, playing them on a neutral field could be cake. But who's the number 11 seed? Virginia. Louisville went to their place and won the series two to one. And that's, that's the series where Alex Manello just absolutely tore the cover off the ball and then hit that. I I'm so mad that Virginia does not have stat stat cast or right. stat track or whatnot, because I promise you that bomb, that home run that he hit where he hit the top of the 50 foot scoreboard. That was easily a 450 <laughs> foot home run. I promise you. Well, I don't that, understand. That was a how, mammoth tower. I don't understand how in 2021, you're not using that technology. And it's Virginia. I think every, every ballpark, right. It's not like it's a, you know, a lower tier school, a mid-major. Every ACC school that I can think of that, have, you know, you hear the stats or you following along on Twitter, whatnot, they always use stat tracker and tell you the, you know, the exit velocity, the distance. And Virginia gives you nothing. Yeah, they, they won the national championship in the last five, six years. And you don't have that? Like, come on now. Yeah, or I, maybe, maybe they do, and they just they just didn't want to give Louisville that information just so they can <laughs> flash that all over social media. Because I know, I know, I damn well would. That's for sure. Especially when you punish a baseball like that. I think so, I was actually listening to that game, and Sean Moth said that they just don't have it, and I, I just can't wrap my head around that. That that was probably the longest home run that I've seen since when Kyle Schwarber came. Um, that's to town. what I was just about to say. I I. I don't know if I'll ever see a home run bigger than that because ever, ever, I think he hit it off the 10 yard line at Papa John's Cardinal stadium. I would not doubt it because for those, I can't remember when this was, but for those who don't know the story, uh, Kyle Schwarber, he's now with the nationals played, played with the Cubs, but he, his collegiate career, he played at Indiana and Indiana, Indiana and Louisville always play a mid, uh, a midweek game home and away. And I think this year they had to cut it out because of scheduling and whatnot. But when Schwarber was in college, he played at Jim Patterson Stadium. If you've been to a Louisville baseball game, you know how freaking tall that batter's eye is. It's, it's a good, like, what, 50 feet up in the air? Mm-hmm. Something like that. If, if it's not that tall, it's it's still pretty tall. He hit a tower off of, was it one of the Birdie Brothers? I, I believe it was. It was later in the game. He He hit a home run off of one of the Birdie Brothers, dead center, that cleared the batter's eye by a solid 20 feet. It was an absolute bomb. It was just moonshot. 
I know people kind of use the term moonshot pretty loosely nowadays because of how often people hit home runs across baseball as a whole, but this was a moonshot. That's for sure. And Alex Benelis's home run was the longest I've seen since then. If that yeah. that's rarefied air, I guess what I'm trying to get at. So I, I know that this, this current seed prediction is not going to end up being what it is unless some really weird, like results pan out all across the Atlantic coast conference. But if this does come to be uh, what Louisville's draw in the ACC tournament ends up being, I mean, I, I, I would have some expectation that maybe they'll be able to actually win the ACC championship because I know since they've joined the ACC, they haven't really made much noise in, in, in that tournament. I mean, they've, they've won conference championships before they've won the big East like several times, but for some reason the, in the Atlantic coast conference, they, can't really get it done the only time they've even gotten out of the pool is in 18 and that was one of the bottom three or five Louisville teams that coach McDonald's ever coached and that team got to the championship game and and had a chance to win until Florida State pulled away late so I'm thinking depending on the draw they might have a chance to be able to do make some noise in the ACC tournament but I, I, I won't hold my breath until I actually see it happen because it's just they haven't been able to make that much noise in uh, down in Charlotte and Durham or wherever they're hosting it this year. Well, I, I think one thing, too, the you know past couple of years team, they haven't really had a whole lot of pressure on them to go down there. They weren't they didn't have to have a good performance in the ACC tournament because, you know, they knew they were going to be hosting or, you know, they kind of knew what their NCAA tournament situation was. Well, this year there's they've got a little bit of pressure on them. You know, go down there, and make some noise. You know, if you go down there and you win the ACC tournament, you're definitely hosting. There's no question about it. it doesn't matter what you do, um, if you're Louisville. But they haven't had a whole lot of pressure the past couple of years, so I think uh, it'll be interesting to see this year how they respond because a good showing down there in Charlotte could move them right into a host position. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I didn't really think about it like that because I know that 18 team that was the first time since the. 2011 team where they didn't even make the tournament at all that was the first time since then that they hadn't hosted they ended up going to texas tech and i think they went to the regional final against against texas tech before ended up uh, losing that that was a good team was good that was a good texas tech team that was a very good texas tech team this is also a very hot atmosphere from every everyone that tells me why louisville chose to wear black uniforms in that series (laughs) i have no idea but anyways i'm getting off on a tangent uh now to we've reached the end of this podcast and like we've alluded to we're gonna have one final discussion before we wrap things up it's it's a simple question what is this team and kind of building off of that can they go far in the postseason because they're gonna make it there's no question about that unless like the bottom completely falls out the last two weeks if they go oh and six and then go oh and two in the ac student tournament then maybe you'll start to raise questions, but this team is an, is a near lock to get to the postseason. but can they even go far, but kind of touching upon the first question, what is the team? It, it's kind of hard to tell because like we've said before, this is a very up and town roller coaster bipolar team. They have incredible highs and they have tremendous lows. Whenever things are going really well, this, this team can beat anybody whenever they're, hitting well with runners in scoring position. Whenever the bullpen can not only throw quality strikes, but throw strikes, period, and locate the strike zone, this team can contend with anybody. Line line them up against anyone, except for maybe Arkansas. (laughs) But this the, the potential is there with this team. Now, on the other side of that coin, there have been times this season where Louisville has just looked flat out 
bad. Mm-hmm. They're I know specifically in the first month, month and a half or so, this team just absolutely struggled to hit with runners in scoring position. They could they could hit when the bases were empty or when there was someone on first, but as soon as someone got over to second or third, it's like they they, they I don't want to say they choked, but they just couldn't convert the their plate appearances into base hits. And through the middle of the season, they, that really started to take off for a while. And there have been uh, a few games the last couple of weeks where that seems to be the case, where they leave a whole bunch of runners left on base and they end up leaving out a whole bunch of missed opportunities. And then when you combine, you know, poor hitting with runners in scoring position with the fact that your bullpen can sometimes struggle to locate the strike zone and throw quality strikes and then add to some time. There have been a couple games where the starting pitcher just got absolutely rocked. Cause I know in the, uh, the finale against Duke, uh, Luke Smith only pitched, what was it, an inning and two outs in the second yeah. or something to that nature? And then we saw what happened second. to Michael Kieran in the series finale. He he and the rest of the pitching staff got absolutely rocked. He gave up three homers. Two of the three relievers gave up a homer. It, it, it was bad. It was just – I got a few messages and texts that night. It was old-fashioned ass whooping. This yeah, is the only way you can, only way you can describe, describe it. it. And that happens, and there's no shame in that happening. But it seems like to for Louisville, it's happened on more than one occasion. So, to going back to the question, can this can this team go far in the postseason? They absolutely can. But like we said for like the fifth or seventh time this on this podcast already, you never know what you're going to get with this team. And kind of adding to that, this is not this has been a team who has not been good on the road. At Jim Patterson Stadium, they're 18 and six, but on the road, they're eight and nine. So that's why hosting a regional is so important for this team because if they have to go on the road on the road for a regional, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't make it out of it. I really wouldn't. Yeah, Matt, and that's something that you and I've talked about over the past couple of weeks is you know, if they do make it to a regional and they're on the road, you know, which team shows up. And I think the biggest thing you talked about the offense quite a bit is the pitching as well like you know you said Kieran the other day gave up eight runs last week at Clemson he gave up eight runs you know so we've got to see his production improve um had a lot of injuries out of the bullpen you know Corbett's back now and gave up a home run the other night but Poland's back too so but we'll see what kind of production we can get out of him you know is Albany's gonna come back before the end of the year if he does what kind of production do we get out of him you know, Luke Seed has stepped up and he's been good this year, but he's not going deep into games. He's, he's given us a solid, you know, three or four innings. Uh, Tate Keener has really stepped up. You know, he had a good outing the other night. So which of these pitchers are going to step up and is it going to be during the same series or during the same weekend? You know, because right. if we have one kink in the bullpen or one kink in the starting pitching, that could be all it takes. You know, mm-hmm. if you've got – if you give up – four, five, six runs and, you know, an inning and a third inning and two thirds, there's a good chance we may not even make it out of a regional. So it's, it, it, it all depends on what the pitching staff is going to do. I have faith our offense is going to put runs up. I mean, the way Benellis is hitting the ball right now, uh, Henry Davis is Henry Davis. We know what we're going to get out of him. You know, Lucas Dunn's hitting the ball better. Dalton rushing showed some signs lately. You know, we, we've got, and the, the defense has gotten production. better too. The defense has gotten better too. Yes, that's something we talked about a couple weeks ago on a podcast. Um, how the offense or how the defense just wasn't playing that great this year. But you know, Napchik has improved quite a bit at short. So it it, it all depends on which 
bullpen's going to show up and who's going to who's healthy um, when we call their number. Right. Yeah. The, the pieces are there for them to make a solid postseason run, whether or not they're able to take advantage of them or utilize them to be able to make a postseason run is a completely different story. Like, like you said, several guys have stepped up as of late. Uh, Luke Seed has looked good, even though he hasn't given you the innings pitch that you would like out of a starter. Tate Keener has stepped up his game. We're starting to get some guys in the bullpen back. Uh, as it pertains to Glenn Albanese, we're, I'm not really sure when we're going to get him back. because, Well, we're, we know we're not going to see him in the final couple weeks of the regular season because uh, Dan McDonald told, that, told us that after the, uh, the uh, final Duke game. And we are not even sure if we're going to be able to get him for the postseason because he said he might be able to come back for the ACC championship. He might be able to come back for the NCAA tournament. He might not come back at all. So that puts a lot more pressure on the bullpen to be able to be able to step up and perform at a higher level. And like you said, they're they've, they're starting to trend in that direction. They just need to keep at it and continue on this pace. But whether or not that actually happens We'll see. And I guess gun to head, if I had to say yes or no, can they go far in the postseason? A lot of fans might not like this answer, but I'm going to say no. Because all it takes is one bad outing and it derails the game. Because there have been a couple times this season where things are going smoothly whether either pitching or hitting. And then all of a sudden in one inning, the wheels completely and totally fall off either hitting or pitching more often. It's, it's pitching. Like you think you're going to be the starter is going to be in for a quality star or a reliever is going to be able to put in some solid work or the, the pitching staff in general is going to have a solid day. And then one or two innings and the, the script's completely flipped. Yeah, and, and, and that's that's all it takes. And yeah. a regional, you know, one inning that 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 could be it. Um, you know, you have to go to the bullpen too early um, because you've got a starter that gets chased in the you know second, third, fourth inning. That that really ruins the entire weekend because you've got to go to your bullpen so early, and you know then you're throwing Adam Elliott out there for three, four, five innings to try to get you, and then you're using Corbett at the end to try to finish it out. So when the, when you've got a team that chases your starter that quick it really, really hurts the entire weekend, especially when you've got a short bullpen like Louisville does. Right. And if anyone, if there's anyone that can orchestrate a team turnaround, it's these guys. It's, it's Coach oh, Dan yeah. McDonald. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roger Williams has done a masterful job ever since joining oh, yeah. him with McDonald. Uh, Eric Snyder, Coach Vrabel, they've, they've all done phenomenal jobs. They've all collectively been phenomenal in their tenure at Louisville. But in the same breath, what have you done for me lately? In the last couple of weeks, last month, the team's been lo- looking really high and really low. Mm-hmm. So that's why this, this last couple of weeks of the regular season, as well as the AC tournament is so crucial for this team because they need to get a little bit more consistent because, I mean, look back the last couple of weeks, swept at Clemson, obvious low point, beat Vanderbilt, obvious high point, just get absolutely just get your teeth kicked in in the, in the series opener against Duke, obvious low point. And then they sweep the doubleheader. I mean, up, down, mm-hmm. up, down, up, down, up, down. Like they need to be able to string together some, some consistency heading into the postseason because you need to, obviously you need to string together wins the postseason or you're, you're going home. I think the biggest thing for me watching this team is they need confidence because right now I think they, they lack having that. And when you Absolutely. watch this team compared to some of coach McDonald's teams in the past, they don't have that swagger to them. You know, they don't have 
that guy that comes out of the bullpen after. Or, I'd say sorry, a couple of players the, do. You've got a couple of them. A co- but, but collectively, no, I would agree with you. You don't have the those guys that hop over the dugout fence. Every, you know, if there's a big strikeout to end the, you know, get out of a jam or something. You don't. You just we don't see that out of this team, and um, not as much as we have in the past. And I, I think they just need some confidence to get that swagger back going into the. And they've got time to do it. It's just who is going to do it. You I know Christian Napchik probably has more swagger on the field. Than any, I was just about to say Christian Napchik is one of those guys. I mean, you've got veterans like Adam Melliott. He obviously he does Scott right. swagger. I mean, he's he's got energy for days. I mean, right? He could be the next Energizer Bunny. Right? <laughs> he's he's just wired twenty four seven. And he, I think Benellis has shown some sometimes yeah. where he's got some swagger, especially when he just nukes a ball into over right. the right field fence. But no, you're right. There are a lot of guys who don't overly exude confidence and right but you don't need to do that to be successful but right. it certainly helps to be able to like spread that confidence and energy around the team and not just kind of just sit there in the dugout right i think you know it it's just it's contagious you see the guys around you doing that it, it makes you want to go out there and perform at a higher level so i think uh i think we've got the guys that can do it we just need to see who's going to step up over the past couple of weeks to get this team rolling Right, and we'll, we'll we'll see if they'll be able to string all that together. I'm I'm excited to see where, what this team can do. Like I said, the potential is there. They just need to be able to hone in on it. Uh, but we'll see. Like I said, I'm gonna say we've already said it many times. I'm gonna say it again, just because that's just been the theme of the episode. This seems like a box of chocolates. You never know <laughs> what you're gonna get. And on that note, we're just gonna put a bow tie on this episode. Once again, thank you everybody for listening in. This has been a great. You guys have been awesome. I mean, we're we're still in the beginning stages of like building this podcast. We're slowly building our audience, slowly getting it out there, and it's, it's a ton of fun. I love doing it. I know Matt, you love doing it. Absolutely. And if you guys want to just you know go and like that, hit that like button, subscribe, all that good stuff. I'm still trying to learn all my reads and whatnot because podcast <laughs> hosting podcast is still relatively new to me. I've been co-host for as long as I can imagine, but you you know what you need to do. Thanks. Like I said once again, this has been the third in Central Podcast, episode six on the State of Louisville Network. Your only, like I said, your only Louisville baseball podcast. So if you like podcasts, you like Louisville baseball, here you are. No better I'm, place to be. No better place to be. I'm Matt McGavick, deputy editor for Louisville Report. This massive uh, Matt Sikovic, contributor for Rivals. And in the immortal words of Sean Moss, we'll see you. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.